My name's Paul, I'm one of the uh, pastors here at King's Church Hastings and uh, it's my privilege to lead the team. As a church, over the last, um, over the last 12 months, there's been, a, there's been a sense of us, um, I believe, finding our stride in God. It's as though we're starting to, um, uh, what's the right, uh, get, get in a good pattern as a church as we look to move forward um, in his purposes and plans. And I think that's expressed in a number of areas, whether it's uh, community groups, which I'm so thrilled about. I heard that the Bexhill community group met last um, yesterday and uh, had uh, over 70 for a barbecue and, and games and all of that sort of stuff, which is absolutely wonderful. So I think I'm very encouraged by what we're seeing with community groups. Um, I'm thrilled as well with some of the healings we've seen recently. I don't think we've been particularly pushing into that as an area of church life, but I think God has been very gracious to us. And as I look out now, I can see people who have been physically healed in the last three or four months, which is, again, absolutely wonderful, and I think just gives a sense of God's blessing and uh, favour upon us. As Ali said, it's great to see so many friends with us. Some of them are older friends that we know from the past. Others of you are uh, maybe just your first time here, and uh, it's great to welcome you um, with us, and then generally just the growth that we're experiencing and, enjoy, and enjoying. It's not, it's not dramatic, um, it's certainly not revival, um, but uh, it's great just to see a sense of God's favour and that we're, we're starting to grow in a real tangible way, which is absolutely wonderful. And I think as well there's also now an increased clarity as to how we're to use this building in the future. And just over a month ago, um, at the Church Vision and Finance meeting, we spent a little bit of time discussing our plans for the building and our intention to change what happens in the other hall to create space for us to grow. So last few Sundays, um, it's been great to have uh, so many visitors with us, but the children have been a bit packed in. And so the plans that we presented a month ago will double the capacity or the space we've got for children's work because we've got plenty of space in this auditorium, but we don't have enough space um, for our children. And so that's key that we address that in the future. It will also, um, we're also need, going to need to move the entrance to the building so we come in a more central location in the back of the auditorium. And we also shared uh, how we're planning. We want to put in a really good coffee shop in the back far corner over there which not only will serve wonderful coffee but will also open up the, the back field as well. Because if, you, if on the way out you decide to take a glance out of those doors there you'll see that one of the best assets we've got um, as in our facility is, the, is that backfield that we very rarely use. And so we're looking to invest into this. It's going to be a faith-stretching time for us as a church. It's going to be a faith-stretching time for you as individuals if you buy in, if you, if you get involved, if you decide to come on this journey um, with us. And we're gearing up to 21 days of prayer, fasting and giving in autumn. So the last Sunday in September will be the first weekend and we're going to be stretching through into October. Now we're going to set aside this time for giving money but we don't just want to be giving money, we want, we want to encounter God afresh. And so we're going to give ourselves to increased prayer corporately as a church but also I want to invite you to come and fast. Now I'm not planning to do 21 days, look that's my excuse. You know, if I did 21 days, I wouldn't be here, I don't think, at the end. I'd be propped up against the lectern, I think. But, 
but I'm going to be giving myself afresh to God. And as I'm fasting, I'm not, I'm not asking God, I'm not trying to twist his arm that he'll provide finance, but what I'm saying is I'm hungry for you, Lord Jesus. I'm hungry to encounter you. And the hunger I'm feeling for food or whatever it is I decide to miss is nothing in comparison to the hunger I have to encounter and meet with the living God. And so I want to encourage you, church, to take that season in the autumn term seriously. Commit yourself to it. Myself and Chloe are going to be looking at budgets over the next couple of months because we know the only way we can give more money to the church is if we spend less money elsewhere. We're not sort of swimming in cash and I guess most of you will be in that situation. So in a sense you have to re-look at your money if you're going to be able to give more. And I would encourage you to do that. Give to see his kingdom advance. Give to see his name glorified. Give to see as we change this facility we're, we're creating an opportunity for God to bless us with growth and send more people to us. But because this is going to be a faith-stretching time, I felt for a while that what I want us to focus on in our preaching between now and Christmas is Jesus. And so we're going to start a preaching series out of John's Gospel and we're going to take those 18, 20 weeks just as an opportunity for us to freshly focus on the God-man, Jesus Christ. We're going to look afresh and my hope is, and it came, hopefully it came through in my prayer, my hope is as we do this that our passion and our zeal for Jesus Christ will increase. That as we worship him we will have fresh energy, a fresh passion, fresh insight as we worship him. Because it's all about him, isn't it? But if you, if you don't know him, and I know there would be many of you here today that, that wouldn't know Jesus... It's an opportunity for you to find out about him. To find out what he claimed about himself. To find out what we claim about him and to explore this faith that hundreds of us here today have committed ourselves to, following this man, Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, if I can invite you to turn to John chapter 1. I would encourage you, by the way, even though we put the words up um, every Sunday, I would encourage you, bring your Bibles. Because if you're flicking through the Bibles, you'll get to know where stuff is. And you're growing your appreciation of the Word of God. Now, let me give you a bit of background to um, John. The author of John is... Any guesses? (laughs) Yes, we're we're on form this morning. I'm full of faith now. The the author of of John is John, um, son of Zebedee. That is not the character off the magic roundabout, just to put your minds at rest if any of you are wondering about that. Um, He was a disciple of Jesus. He was actually, in his own words, the disciple that Jesus loved. He witnessed Jesus' three years of ministry and probably no man knew him better than John. Probably no man knew Jesus better than John. The book was written um, somewhere between AD 85 and AD 95, Um, that's probably about 50 to 60 years after the ministry of Jesus finished. It was written from a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and it was written to a mixed audience. They had two completely different worldviews. You had the Hebrew people, so it was written to the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, but it was also written to Gentiles, in other words, to the non-Jewish the Greek-speaking world. And so, within, within this, you get two societies coming together. So, John was writing to both of them, probably writing to the churches in the Ephesus area. 
Now 90% of the material that we read in the Gospel of John is unique to John. So if you read Matthew, Mark and, and Luke, <laughs> gives you great confidence in me, doesn't it, when I pause at that point you'll find that there's a lot of overlapping material. But when it comes to John's Gospel, a lot of it is unique. And the reason for this Gospel is because Jesus is the promised Saviour and he is the Son of God. And he was writing to explain that. He was writing an eyewitness account of what he saw and what he understood to happen. And that by believing in Jesus Christ, people can have eternal life. They are big, big claims. So let's start in John chapter 1. We're going to read the first 18 verses. Now, these words are quite deep. They're quite complicated. They're not the easiest thing to grasp, but I'm going to do my best to explain them to you because, because they're so important. It's so important that we grasp this early, this early part of John. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word is Jesus. So whenever you see the word Word in, this, in these 18 verses, it's talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. So this isn't the John that um, wrote the book. This is John the Baptist, who was a prophet who came before Jesus. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he whom I said... He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but God the one and only, that is Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Lord, I ask you, would you please help me as I preach this morning? I pray, would you please fill me afresh with your spirit? Lord, we want to get caught up with you. Lord, at the start of the summer, Lord, we want to get caught up with you. 
I pray, Lord, that we would catch fresh glimpses of you this morning. I pray they wouldn't just be intellectual thoughts or facts, but it would be things that moves our hearts. It causes us to worship. It causes us to love you more. Oh, come fill us afresh, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. John starts in these first 18 verses by providing us with Christ's CV. This is a man that had walked the earth only a few years earlier. So John was writing about a man who he had lived with for three years. He knew him very well. When he wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, there would have been a number of people who may have been eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ when he had lived. He would lived about 50 years ago, there may have been people alive, but there would have certainly been a number of people in the church who knew eyewitnesses. They knew that man who had lived, who had walked, who had healed people, who had eaten food, who had been tired, who at times had got angry. They, they knew this man and John wants to, at the very start of the book, re, re, retell who this man is, re-explain who this man is. And some of the claims that are recorded here are vast. They're big claims. In some ways, they're a bit mad. They're so vast, they defy human logic. They defy what is sensible or normal, or probably, you may even think, is possible. Now, as John writes about Jesus, you'll find in these 18 verses, he, I, I think he has about four main themes, but he weaves them in and out. So he picks a theme up, then he weaves it with something else, and he comes back to the same theme again. Because my brain can't handle that, I've just separated the four themes out. And that's how I'm going to explain it to you, and I hopefully, uh, like I say, my, my real prayer is it will cause you to uh, worship when we come back together. But for some of you here today, and you don't know Jesus... My prayer is that as I present to you Jesus Christ, that God will be at work in your hearts, causing you to consider maybe these claims for the first time. Because at the end, I I want to ask you, if you don't know Christ, I'm going to, in a sense, put an invitation before you that you can come to know him today. You can come to know him today. You can encounter this man that I'm going to talk about in a moment. Now the first claim, and it comes smack between your eyes as you start reading in verse 1, is this. Jesus is God. This man that walked and lived 50 years earlier, he wasn't just a good man, he wasn't just a teacher, he is God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. These these verses echo the start of Genesis chapter 1. So if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, how the world began, it's a sort of a poem that describes that. It's very, very similar. And if in, in, um, as it were, in Genesis 1 you get the start of it all, in John's Gospel you get the climax of it. You get the climax of all that God did and all God was about in creation. The word here in the Greek is logos. It's, it's, it's God's spoken word. You see, I'm speaking now 
and my words have the opportunity or the possibility to affect you, to do something within you. And it's the same for yourself, isn't it? When Richard Wilson says to his wife Anna, I love you, she goes weak at the knees. (laughs) When I asked Chloe, my wife, to marry me, and she said yes, those words had power. They changed something. Martin's, um, Martin, who played the saxophone earlier, great musician, is also a businessman. When he says, or if he has to say to someone, you're fired, those words have power. They affect, they change people's lives. And in the same way, but to a much greater extent, this word um, logos, it's the Greek, it's the spoken word. In Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke, things came into being much greater than our words. And here, John, I was going to say Paul, John is using this word um, as a name for Christ. He's He's the word. He is with God, he is part of God, but he is independent from God. Um, Things were created through him. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning. In these opening verses, John states that Jesus is God. He's not a little God, he's not just a God, he is the God. So Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is a God, but it's with a small g. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches he is God in his essence, co-equal, the same as God the Father. No less than, nothing lacking from, he is God. Jesus Christ is one with God. There is no distinction in essence between the Father and the Son. They are to be equally honoured, adored and worshipped. We also find in these opening verses that it says, in the beginning was Jesus. So whenever, however far back you cast your mind, Jesus was prior. He was already there. In Genesis chapter 1 where it says, says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there first. He, he, He actually, he had no beginning. He was not created. He is the creator At the beginning of history, at the root of the universe, Jesus was before. He has always existed. He has never had a start. The world, the universe, you had a start, but Jesus never had a start. Now, I can proclaim these things. I can't explain them, but I can proclaim them. It's what the Bible says. He has no start. He is the eternal and he will have no end. An old theologian said, there never was when he was not. There never was when Jesus was not. He's always been there. He is eternal. And lastly, I want to just pull out of this first point is this. He was with God in the beginning. That's in verse 2. Now, The NIV is a bit weak in this. It's not not just being 
with God, the sense of what is there in the original is that he was existing face to face with God. The word was towards God in closest possible fellowship with the Father. He was in relationship. There was an intimacy. There was a closeness between the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Father. In these opening verses, we see the centrality, the supremacy, the mystery of Christ, and the Godhead. So the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned in these opening verses, but God the Father and God the Son are. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus Christ. You look at him. Jesus is God. Secondly, we see Jesus, the creator. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In the message it says this, everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. Jesus existed before creation but he is also the agent of creation. It speaks of Christ's limitless power, wisdom and majesty. He was there. He was there at the very beginning. He's the creator. So out of nothing, Christ creator, created. It's not a matter of reforming things. You know, it might be that I could ask you to create something. But none of you can create out of nothing. You may be able to, um, uh, you may be able to create out of a substance. If I, if I gave you something, you may be able to put something together and make it work, but you can't create out of nothing. But it says that Jesus Christ, he created when there was not, and then there was. Jesus created out of nothing. Let me read, um, this is a, a, a quote out of a Nicky Gumbel, um, from a Nicky Gumbel book. Although I'm reading it out of Andrew Wilson's book, which is confusing, but he quotes Nicky Gumbel. So. And it'll come up on the screen. This, this is the creator. On the 20th of August, 1977, Voyager 2 the interplanetary probe launched to observe and transmit to Earth data about about the outer planetary system set off from Earth travelling faster than the speed of a bullet. So in 1977, this probe was launched and it set off travelling faster than the speed of a bullet. Twelve years later, In 1989, it reached the planet Neptune 2,700 million miles from Earth. Voyager 2 then left the solar system. It will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. In our galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars like our sun. And our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies In a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us he also made the stars. This man, Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. A probe travelling faster than the speed of a bullet took 12 years to get to the edge of our galaxy. 
solar system. In our galaxy, there are 100,000 million solar systems just like ours. I think this is right. And there are 100,000 million galaxies. In the beginning, God created. In these opening points, we see the otherness of Jesus Christ. It's, it's different to us, isn't it? You know, we're not eternal, we're not all powerful, we're not creators, we're the created. But but the next theme that John brings in, and this, this is probably one of the hardest things to get your heads around, it says in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one who spoke the stars into existence came as part of his creation. He clothed himself as flesh. He was still fully God. He became fully man. He joined the creation that he had created as a man. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes it. Who being in, chapter 2 verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he's God, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Jesus came as a man. He was born. He needed his mum's milk. He needed his nappies changing. He, he couldn't walk to start with. He had to learn how to walk. The creator who spoke the planets and the stars into existence. Andrew Wilson says, so we have an eternal being through whom everything was created, distinct from God the Father, but at the same time fully God himself, come in flesh. God who is ter eternal comes into time. God who is spirit takes on human flesh. God humbles himself and he comes into the darkness. Jesus the man. In the message it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. Jesus became just like us and joined our world. What's our neighbourhood like? What's your neighbourhood like? Mine's full of frailty, hunger, weakness, sorrow, grief, tiredness, sickness, that's, that's the neighbourhood Jesus moved into and he was not familiar with any of those things. None of those things exist in heaven. Up to the age of 30, Jesus was not an impressive man. He lived in a town called Nazareth 
And to use Mark, Mark Driscoll, um, who's a, a preacher from the States, he says, it was a dumpy little town. It wasn't impressive, Nazareth. The king of the universe moved into Nazareth. He had to learn a trade. He probably trained as a carpenter. The one who had put the stars in place learnt what it was to get splinters in his hands, to hit his thumb with a hammer. Learning how to shape wood into something when he had spoken and the trees had come into existence. He had enjoyed an, an, an angelic, angelic worship and an eternal, perfect relationship with his father. He died in singleness, lonely. He never even really appeared to settle down. The creator of all things, who put the, the, the Pacific Ocean there, who formed the Himalaya mountain ranges, who designed the Grand Canyon as a man, never travelled probably 30 miles from his home. Not in the first 30 years of his life. He wouldn't have travelled very far. The creator, the, the, the limitless one, confined to flesh. And it says the world did not recognise him. Because when the Messiah comes, he won't look like that. If a Messiah is to come, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be just like us, would he? But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is one of the hardest things to get your head round. God became a man. Hey, stand up. Thank you. Sorry, that was a bit, that was a bit sort of commanding, wasn't it? I don't, don't know where that came from. Oh, um, could you stand up there, please? <laughs> I am nice, really. He came as a man. Run-of-the-mill man. How old are you? Alice, 26 years old. So when Jesus started his ministry... <laughs> what? Yeah, You're 26, good. He's not that bright. <laughs> no, he came as a man. 26 years old. Jesus was just a bit older. Just flesh and blood. I, I was going to... I was going to punch him, but I'd be afraid, two things I'd be afraid. One is I may hurt him, or the other would be I wouldn't hurt him, and that would be more embarrassing. So I could get Nick to punch him, and then that would be... But, but in a sense, do you know what I mean? All, all the things that, that Ali would struggle with, you know, hunger or tiredness, pressure, all of those things Jesus experienced. It says, it says that he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet Christ was without sin. But he, he's, 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 he, he came like us. This is, this is the mystery, thank you, Ali. This is the mystery of the incarnation. This is the mystery. God clothed himself with flesh. You see, if you grasp the fact that God came as a man, the fact that he spoke to sicknesses and they went isn't a problem. Because he's God. Do you see? You see, if, if, if you can understand the incarnation, if you can understand that Jesus came as a man and he spoke to dead bodies and they came up out of the grave. That's not a problem. Why? Because he's God. 
You see, if you understand the incarnation, the claims about Christ make absolute sense. And that's what the Bible says. The Creator, so big, so vast, so powerful, confined into a human body. Fully God, yet fully man. He spoke to sickness and it went. He spoke to the waves and they became still. They recognised his voice. They'd heard it before. Jesus is God. One finger, sorry. Jesus, the creator. Jesus, the man. And then lastly we find the last key theme that comes through from John chapter 1 is Jesus, the saviour. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you carry on reading Philippians chapter 2 in verse 8, it says this, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? To save mankind. To save us from our sin. God comes into the world He lives life without sin, dies a death in our place in order that those who believed in his name would be forgiven their sin and adopted into a new family. In uh, verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 1 it says this, In him was life. Now it's talking about, yes it's talking about life in creation, but actually it's talking about life in salvation. When Jesus came, he came as our saviour. He came as the one who could save us from our rebellion and sin. And this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. And he shines in the context of a dark world, a world that cannot understand it, cannot, cannot in a sense, grasp him, because it is so different from how Jesus is but he came to shine, to be a light, that men may come to him. Jesus took my anger. Jesus took my lust. Jesus took my hatred. Jesus took every unkind word I have spoken. Jesus took it all And he clothed himself with my sin so that when he was on the cross, the perfect, righteous judgment of the Father would be poured out on him, not because of him, but because of my sin. My sin was dealt with in Christ, on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God, without blemish and without sin, came into the world to deal with your sin problem, to deal with your rebellion problem, to deal with the problem of your lust or your anger. Why did Christ come? He came to save you from your sin. He clothed himself in your sin that you might be clothed in his righteousness. The only thing we bring, the only thing we bring is the rags of our life and we exchange them for his righteousness. His perfect righteousness. He was punished in our place. 
It says in verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Do you know that, church? From the fullness of his grace, you have received one blessing after another blessing, after another blessing, after another blessing. Because God, all-powerful, came in a human body to die on the cross for us. Jesus Christ moved into our neighbourhood so that we could move into his. He came and became a man that we might be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Not on the basis of your merit. Never has been. It never will be. But on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The mystery and the wonder of the eternal, all-powerful creator God clothing himself in humanity and dying a substitutionary death in our place. It is wonderful. In John 20, verse 31, that's right at the end of the book of John, we get there around Christmas time, it says this, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you, have, you may have life in his name. It is absolutely wonderful. For though, can you imagine what it was like for those readers at Ephesus, those, those, those ones who heard the message? This man, Jesus, who walked the earth, he, he looked much like many of you. He spoke like you. He was not an impressive man. But no, no, he was God. He's the creator. He is God incarnate. God with flesh on come to save you from your sins. This is the mystery, this is the wonder of the Gospel. This is why we can get lost in wonder, love and praise. Because it's all free, it's all of grace. The one who put the galaxies there came as a baby. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, It says this. If I can invite the band back up, please. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Come on, church, let's fix our eyes on him. Let's stand. Lord, we wonder at your goodness and your grace. That God would die for me. Lord, the scandal of the cross. That I get off scot-free. And yet, Jesus Christ, you paid the price for my sin. Lord, the wonder of it all. Mystery is so deep that they're hard to fathom, they're they're hard to grasp, they're hard to understand. And yet we know as we start to see these things, other things seem to start making sense. 
that you heal sicknesses, that you set people free. Those people encounter you, they find new life and joy and peace in you. All that makes sense when we understand who you are. Oh Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love to worship you. The mystery of it all. Let's worship, church. We're going to worship him. We're going to just, just give ourselves to worship. Then we're going to break bread a little bit later. Um, we're to see what God wants to do among us as well. But in a sense, whatever challenges or difficulties you're facing in life at the moment, and life may be going swimmingly, or it may be a real struggle. God loves you. And he's already demonstrated that love in such real and tangible ways. Come, push in, encounter him. Enjoy his presence and his grace this morning.